The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's Thursday, July 20th right now. Um, we, I don't even know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a big wake. <laughs> it's been a crazy week. Maybe that's why I don't even know where to start because there's just been so much happening between Long Island serial killer, uh, Carly. We just did the episode on Rudy. My, my life's also been chaotic, I feel like. I, I was saying I, I feel like I'm having a sensitive day today for no reason. I'm not even PMSing, so I don't have that as an excuse. But I had some comfort tater tots and a Coke Zero before this, so I suppose I'm feeling a bit better. Well, that's good. Oh, and also, before we get into it, if you don't want to hear us chat for a couple <laughs> minutes, there's a timestamp in the episode notes. You can just click that, and if you're on Spotify, it'll bring you right to it. You could just fast forward, and I say it time and time again because we still get comments that are like, too much chat, too much chat. Like, please. <laughs> I feel like they're just rolling off the back now. We can't do much else. We say it and write it every single week. So I know. I just want to make sure to say it. For the, anyone who's new, it's like, I don't care what you guys are doing. Yeah. Anyways, go on with what you were saying. Oh, I can't even remember what I was going to say now. We were saying it was a big week. Clearly. Big, well, I was just going to say big week, yeah. It, like, there's been a lot happening. I feel like in one episode we spoke about how things have been pretty quiet, kind of. And when we say quiet, you know, obviously just, I mean, not many big updates or big cases. And then this week it's just been full on. <laughs> yeah, it's been chaotic. I'm exhausted mentally from it all. Um, we do want to give a thank you to everyone who has joined Patreon. It means so much to us it brightens up my day every time i get a little notification saying that someone new joined and it just makes us feel really special and happy we did hop on and do a quick episode not even episode like honestly like a 20 minute chat yeah just about the stuff going on with Carly because it's not really enough for a full real episode. And this episode's already going to be super, super long as it is. So if you're interested in hearing us talk about that casually, very off the cuff, we did it kind of last minute, uh, that'll be on Patreon. But this episode, we're going to be talking about a lot of details with Long Island serial killers. So uh, buckle in and get ready for that. Yeah, very, like this is an unexpected update. I believe, like no one knew this guy wasn't on anyone's radar. It's kind of the same as Richard Allen in Delphi. It's um, a very big update. And also they've released so much information, which is great for us. Yeah. Um, I do have one interesting personal story. Um, if for those who are interested and don't fast forward, <laughs> I saw my first dead body in the wild. I think I've talked about how I live across from a little creek. It's it's not really little. Like when I saw it, it was quite rushing. Dried up. I feel like it was dried <laughs> yeah. up when you guys were here. Oh, well, I, I, maybe I'm thinking I'm talking about the waterfall bit, maybe. That was still Yeah, but even rushing. that, didn't, I showed you the video though after it flooded, right? It was crazy. Yeah. But it goes between being kind of dried up where you can literally see the rocks on the bottom. And when it rains a lot, it's like rushing rapids. I always say it's small because it's not that wide, no. but it's probably more aggressive and like a little deeper than you think there is a waterfall there's a lot of rocks but anyways mike and i just ordered 
DoorDash and we were just about to eat and all of a sudden all these like fire trucks, ambulances roll up right in front of my apartment building. People running everywhere. We're like, what is going on? So we just opened our window and we're sticking our heads out the window watching. And it looked like they were looking for someone who had fallen in the creek. They had like life preservers, but it seemed like they couldn't find the person. And the creek is a little more aggressive than it has been because of all the crazy rain we've gotten. So they're running all over, like looking, trying to find this person. Um, and I looked, I follow some like uh, scanner, 911 Facebook accounts around here. So I looked and I saw that there was like a potential drowning in the creek for the 911 call. Mike and I were like, let's go downstairs and see what's going on. So we went or watching and we heard a guy be like oh they got her on the other side they were pulling out this woman's dead body out of the creek they had to bring down ladders and they were trying to get her out of the water and it was crazy because everyone in the town's just watching them like pull this woman out of the water and it was really sad um you could immediately tell that like you don't want to just be like oh she's definitely dead but she was like blue then the next day it came out that i guess she was on the other side of the creek where i live and there's kind of like apartments over there and there's like a 15 foot hill embankment and they were taking pictures and she was holding her child taking pictures i don't know if other people were taking the pictures or what or if they were selfies and she lost her balance and fell backwards and fell into the creek so i don't know if she like hit her head or something or couldn't swim but she fell into the creek and she ended up drowning and passing away. Just like such a sad story and one of those ones that really makes you be like, wow, you never know when no. that's it. It's um, yeah, just crazy that you can just be taking photos one second and then that's it. Yeah. Something it that we've so all done fast. a million times. Yeah. So yeah. Anything interesting in your week? No, it's been pretty quiet here. Um, Kids are going back to school after the winter break, which is good because it means that winter's nearly over, (laughs) which is not really hopeful. You know, I'm hopeful it's still got a while to go. But no, nothing really much going on. Pretty quiet. But a nice ladies' lunch tomorrow. So I love a good lunch. So I'm excited for that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like most of my updates are about food. (laughs) Me and Mike were just talking about, have you seen that TikTok or online trend about girl dinners? No. I guess it's like a thing on TikTok where how when husbands or boyfriends are away, girls just eat like fucking anything and call it dinner. <laughs> It'll be like one will be just like a little bit of cinnamon toast or like a little bit of cheese, <laughs> just like snacks. And that's that's our dinner. And it's oh, so it- true because when Mike's away, well, sometimes I'll DoorDash and I'll, but I'll just get stuff that I wouldn't normally DoorDash when he was here, just like gross fried food or whatever. Or you just like have little mozzarella sticks or some toast, a little bit of cheese and <laughs> call it a day. <laughs> even I remember when I was growing up and even my dad would never go away, like the dinners we'd have, we'd have like baked beans on toast, like just the easiest <laughs> dinners. Cause I don't know, I don't know why people make an effort more. <laughs> it's either just like super easy or very yeah. like self-indulgent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think that's funny because that's very me. And he's going to be switching to working night soon. So I'm like, that's what I'm going to be doing when you're not Every here. Not. <laughs> have some cinnamon sugar toast. Girl dinner. <laughs> I am going to see Barbie on Sunday. So I'm excited about oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. I t- Luella, my daughter, has been busting to go and see it. So my other daughter is going already on Saturday. So I said, oh, I'll take you on Sunday. So yeah, we're booked in. She's picked the best seats apparently in the cinema. Oh. And she said to me this morning, Mom, you've got to wear pink. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll That's find cute. something. I haven't been to an actual movie theater since before the pandemic. Really? February before the pandemic, I saw Sonic. Oh, and you still remember. <laughs> yeah, because me and Michael always joke, I'll be like, the last movie we saw in theaters was Sonic the Hedgehog. I feel like I haven't seen 
many adult movies since the pandemic. I feel like all the ones I've been to, I've taken the kids. But there also, yeah. I feel like there hasn't really been many movies. Like it took them a while to kind of pick it back up after the shutdown. I don't know. Maybe I'll see Barbie if you say it's good. I don't know. Might <laughs> be interested, but like the trailers are like I know they usually sometimes show the best parts in the trailers, but it actually looks kind of funny and witty and stuff like that so anyway i just love the jokes about the barbie marketing team because it's everything everywhere i saw someone take a picture <laughs> of like a pink sunset it was like wow the barbie marketing team is really going all out <laughs> i will keep you posted i'll update you all next week <laughs> okay so today we are going to be talking about the updates with the long island serial killer arrest of a man named Rex Huerman. He's 59 years old from Massapequa Park in New York. He was arrested on the 13th of this month, July. After years of unanswered questions, a break in the unsolved Gilgo Beach murders out of Long Island, as officials announce a suspect is now in custody. Multiple news outlets now reporting the suspect is 59-year-old Rex Huerman of Massapequa Park. Rex Huerman, I'm an architect, I'm an architectural consultant, I'm a troubleshooter, born and raised on Long Island. Local TV stations report Huerman was taken into custody in Long Island early Friday morning when a special task force surrounded his home. An architect, Huerman, told YouTube reporters last year he's worked with New York City's Department of Buildings since the late 1980s. I do troubleshooting, architectural troubleshooting, and negotiations with the building department. But it was 23 years after his architecture career began in 2010 when the first body was recovered in the so-called Gilgo Beach murders. The investigation started in 2010 after escort Shanann Gilbert went missing near Gilgo Beach. In the search for Gilbert, investigators recovered four bodies on the beach all women in their 20s who were working as escorts. In total, nine women, one man and a toddler have been discovered along the beach about an hour east of Manhattan. After the bodies were discovered, the murders mysteriously stopped. Just one year before his arrest, Huerman said the most important aspect of his job is patience. Uh, you know, after all those years, what do you think uh, is the most impor important qualities a person uh, in your in your position uh, dealing with the DOB must have patience. <laughs> That's funny. I, I I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> patience. And I don't like to use the word tolerance, but sometimes you have to. In the interview, Hiraman said working with people was the most interesting aspect of his career. But it's the people, how. They're all so different, and how you deal with the people, I think, is one of the more interesting aspects that have come out of this. So there's tons of information, so we're going to do our best to go through all that. We did do a two-part in-depth episode on the Long Island Serial Killer back in 2020. It's kind of one of the first episodes we did, so it probably kind of sucks. <laughs> it probably doesn't suck, but we're definitely a little more shy and reserved. So keep that in mind if you go back We've and listen to them. <laughs> yeah, and become more confident. <laughs> yeah. Even though we get bullied all the time. Still <laughs> we know a little bit more what we're doing, hopefully. In this episode, we'll do like a quick recap kind of of the victims that are involved specifically in this arrest, because it, this is specifically about the Gilgo four girls who bodies were all kind of found together, but the Long Island serial killer 
altogether, they believe could have as many as like 10 victims. So there's all different. And he could have even more. They're looking into other cold cases now because they think he could be connected to other things. For the sake of time in this episode, we're just going to focus kind of on this current arrest situation. Yeah, I absolutely think, yeah, we'll talk about it at the end of uh, theories too, but I really think he's responsible for most of them, if not all of them. And maybe even more. Yeah. I did a, I did an Instagram poll and I think 80% of people agreed and they said that they believed that he was responsible for most of them. All right. So in terms of background on this case, the Gilgo Beach serial killings were a series of murders between 1996 and 2011 in which the remains of up to 18 people were found in Gilgo Beach on the south shore of Long Island. So most of the known victims were sex workers who advertised on Craigslist. The perpetrator in the case is known variously as a Long Island serial killer, or sometimes people will abbreviate that to LISK, L-I-S-K, um, the Manorville Butcher, and the Craigslist Ripper. Also, Gilgo Beach Killer, yeah, I've seen yeah, there's a whole bunch Beach of... Killer. So four of the victims were termed the Gilgo Four. The remains of Melissa Bartholomew, 24, were the first to be discovered in the case during the search on December 11, 2010, according to the Suffolk County Police Department. And two days later, investigators discovered the remains of three additional victims. There's Maureen Brainard Barnes, Amber Costello, and Megan Waterman, strewn across a half-mile stretch on Gilgo Beach. They were all like 20 to 30 feet away from each other, very close together, and they were all kind of placed in similar fashions. A twist in the case of the bodies of four women found by a Long Island roadway. Police say forensics prove missing prostitute Shannon Gilbert is not one of the dead. You know, there are no suspects at this time. State police have added 10 cadaver dogs to the search. And we want to make sure we didn't miss anything. They are scouring the area around Gilgo Beach, where the bodies were discovered. We're going to expand the search uh, throughout that community over the next few days, and we're going to go over the same territory. The focus of the investigation is on identifying the bodies. But they are decomposed and visual identification is not possible. Still many unanswered questions. Are you able to tell yet how these women were killed? No. Police departments from other jurisdictions and states, as well as families of missing persons, have been contacting the Suffolk County PD. They actually found their bodies. A lot of people will bring up Shannon Gilbert in connection with this case, who is, a lot of people will say they think she could be a victim, but police did say that they believe she she ran off into a a marsh and actually accidentally drowned. Um, she was another sex worker, but they found these bodies while they were looking for her. So yeah. that's kind of how she ties into this case as well. Authorities in New York are getting some high-tech help from the FBI in their search for a possible serial killer. Police say the federal agency will send helicopters and airplanes, both equipped with cameras, to scour more than 15 miles of an ocean highway in search of more human bodies. At least 10 sets of remains have been found in the past several months near a highway leading to the Long Island Beach and State Park. The most recent discovery came earlier this week. We're hoping that technology will help identify skeletal remains that may still be out there. The parkway is surrounded by a tangle of underbrush and evergreens that have proved difficult to maneuver for cadaver dogs and officers. On Wednesday, divers searched the waters north of the parkway for more possible victims. Please keep in mind that this is not an episode of CSI. This is an intensive, long-term investigation that includes the use of sophisticated technology 
as well as good old-fashioned detective work. Officers found the first remains while searching for a missing New Jersey prostitute who was last seen in a nearby community nearly a year ago. She still hasn't been found. So currently, Rex, what a name. Like, is that even short? It's not even short for anything. Like, you just name your baby Rex? Yeah, Rex. (laughs) It's definitely not short. Like, I feel like his name is just Rex. Maybe you could shorten something to Rex. but And his brother's name's Craig, Rex and Craig. (laughs) So Rex has been charged with first and second degree murder of three of the Gilgo four girls, Amber, Melissa, and Megan. And it said in the document that they released on this that more charges are going to be coming for Maureen's murder. They just um, kind of had to prematurely arrest him before they were ready. But we'll get into that a little further along. So this is what we know about Rex so far. He was born in 1959 to Dolores and Theodore. And he also had a brother named Craig. Um, This seems to be kind of random, but apparently Theodore was an aerospace engineer who built satellites, but was also working as a cabinet maker. (laughs) Very, very curious. (laughs) Yeah, you could just do anything back in the day. (laughs) Records show that Theo Huberman died in 1975 when he was 50 years old. Rex would have been around 11. And Dolores current day would be around 93 and she is still alive at the time of recording as far as we know i've thought about her like imagine being 93 and finding out that your son has probably done all this horrible stuff i'd be like it's crazy just take me in 1981 rex and randomly billy baldwin graduated from alfred g burner high school in massapequa town of oyster bay and billy made a statement about the arrest he said Married, two kids, architect, average guy, quiet, family man. Mind-boggling, Massapequa is in shock. Rex went on to earn a bachelor's degree in architectural architectural technology at the New York Institute of Technology in Westbury, New York in 1988 when Craig Huberman was 22, his brother. Um, He was driving while high and intoxicated and he killed a police officer. So according to the New York Post, Craig was driving 61 miles per hour during the 9.25 a.m. accident and was already in an in, in intoxicated and coked up condition at the time. Um, he slammed head on into a car driven by city housing authority police captain Winyan Buskey, who's 51 years old. He was pronounced dead at the scene, according to a Newsday report at the time. So after pleading guilty, Craig started a three-year prison sentence for criminally negligent homicide at a since-closed minimum security at prison in Gabriel's in upstate New York. He was paroled in August 1990, months after his initial review was denied, according to the state corrections records. So that's what was going on with his brother Craig at the time. Uh, Back to Rex in September, September 29th, 1990. He and his first wife, Elizabeth Ryan, got married at St. Peter's Church in New Brunswick, Middlesex County, New Jersey. Craig was his best man. And at the time, he was an intern architect at Greer Construction Corps in Freeport, New York. There's a kind of wedding announcement and you can see Rex, he's wearing the glasses. Everyone, we've had so many messages. He's like, he's got the serial killer glasses. He's got <laughs> the like serial the killer glasses. Chunky glasses. His wife has got kind of a veil, like it's a very 90s <laughs> wedding outfit. She's, it's like the veil, I don't know, I'll put the photo up on the Instagram so you guys can see, but yeah, it's a little wedding announcement for them. There's tons of photos, like he's very out there and he's very, yeah. has always been very public. They definitely never tried to hide. No, he's got those big glasses. So. <laughs> Red flag number one. 
Um, the house where he grew up in Massapequa Park is where he was still living when he was arrested. He purchased it from his mom, Dolores, in 1994 for $170,000. Steal. This was the same year that he started his own company, RX Architecture Design. So his marriage to Elizabeth didn't last long, and in 1996, he married again. His second wife is Asa Ellerup, and that's who he's currently married to. Well, she's divorcing him, but was married to up until this. Rex became the stepfather of her son from a previous marriage. In the same year, she gave birth to their daughter, Victoria. Um, and it seems like Rex's stepson has a disability or some sort of special needs. His name's not really out there or anything. I mean, we don't really need to know it. Who cares? No. And the neighbors, like, it's, we only know that because of comments from the neighbors. And there's also been some other things that have happened that have come out, like the food stamps, which the family got. And we think that's because of the son's disability. Yeah. The, the town has been very chatty. I guess the grocery <laughs> store said they used to come in and they would use food stamps at the grocery store and that Rex was never, never with them. They all seemed a little sad, which it's easy to say in hindsight, like, yeah. Would, would you have said that they always looked sad if you didn't know this? I don't know. Like, does anyone look happy when they're really no, at the grocery No, I'm store? talking miserable at the grocery store. <laughs> Good point. I hate grocery shopping. <laughs> if you see me happy at a grocery store, you should be concerned. <laughs> Rex seems to have been fairly successful in his career. You wouldn't know it by looking at his house, but his <laughs> clients included Target, Foot Locker, Catholic Charities, and American Airlines. Part of his profile, which has since been taken down, read, throughout the years, Rex Heuerman has provided services to other city agencies, not-for-profit agencies, builders, developers, and individual owners of buildings in regard to ADA, NYC, and New York State codes, as well as zoning consultation. So despite living fairly modestly, Rex seems to have had some tax evasion issues. Uh, Nassau County records show that Rex was subject to six tax liens filed by the IRS in Nassau County between 2010 and 2021. According to the liens, he owed a total of more than $425,000 for taxes he failed to pay going back to 2005. And the IRS later filed tax lien releases showing that Rex repaid or no longer owed about $215,000 of that debt with the most recent documents being filed in October 2022. So it seems like he wasn't paying his taxes. Um, it also came out that him and Asa currently owe a total of more than $81,000 in personal income tax to the state. Rex is also seems to be kind of a scammer, not shocking. Mm. But between 2014 and 2022, he's filed four different lawsuits in New York courts against drivers who he said hit him with their cars or caused car accidents that left him with serious and permanent personal injuries. Um, three of the cases were either settled or discontinued, and there's still one ongoing. But I saw in the local news here, they were talking to one of the people about it. And just it's basically he's just lying about the extent of his injuries. He's trying to like sue them for $5 million or something ridiculous. So seems like that type of person. One was like he said a taxi driver in New York City ran over his foot, things like that. Like if you have four different ones of those going. <laughs> it's so crazy to me too that now if he is the Long Island serial killer, he was very open to putting himself into the, in the legal court. system. <laughs> yeah, like in, in you know, it's just crazy. He really, I get, and do you know what, he did get away with it for a very long time, so why not, I guess, but. Yeah. When asked in some court documents if he played sports, he said, really, the only thing I competed in was competition rifle. Rex also had some professional trouble in 2007 and September 
of that year, a seven-story apartment building in Harlem that he had been hired to renovate was declared unsafe by fire officials who ordered at least 26 of the families to evacuate. So that's a little bit on him. There's a lot, like if you Google Rex Human Architect, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes up, you know, about his professional life. Yeah, fear to bore you to death. Yeah, I feel like even though he posted all those companies he'd apparently worked with on his website, I feel like he wasn't a great architect. <laughs> no, I think he was just like peacocking and trying to <laughs> look a lot better than he was. So as you mentioned, he's been charged with three of the four Gilgo Beach murders so far. This, I'll go into a little bit about kind of what happened before the girls each went missing. Basically, one way they started narrowing down on a specific person was all the girls were contacted by a burner phone or were communicating with someone who was using burner phones right before they disappeared. So for example, Maureen, Maureen Brainard Barnes, she was reported missing in July 2007. So Maureen was last seen on July 9th, 2007 in New York City while she was working as a sex worker. On July 6th, her phone was contacted by a burner phone. Between the 6th and 8th, there were 16 interactions between her phone and the burner phone. So the last cell site location for Maureen's phone was at approximately 1156 in Midtown Manhattan near the 59th Street Bridge. Thereafter, Maureen's cell phone had no further activity until July 12th. On the 12th, which is three days after she disappeared, two outbound calls were made from Maureen's cell phone, checking her voicemail from a cell site near the Long Island Expressway. So basically, they started kind of tracking where these burner phones were being used then, which is kind of how they narrowed down a location of where this killer might be. Same with Melissa. She was last seen July 10th, 2009. She was contacted by a burner phone on the 3rd. Uh, Her phone was contacted by the burner phone On July 6th, 9th, and 10th, the 10th was the last day she was seen alive, and cell records indicate that the burner phone traveled from Massapequa to Midtown Manhattan. On July 11th and 12th, her phone was used to make multiple outbound calls, checking her voicemail. On July 17th, July 23rd, August 8th, August 19th, and August 26th, her phone was used to make taunting calls to Melissa's family members, which resulted in conversations with the killer who they noted was male and he admitted to killing and sexually assaulting melissa and those calls were placed in midtown manhattan so we know now rex worked in midtown manhattan and lived in massapequa so it seems like a lot of these pings were between those areas uh same with megan waterman i won't go into all of it but again she was like contacted by the burner phone leading right up to when she disappeared so her phone traveled to massapequa park in the last cell site location was Massapequa Park at approximately 3.11 a.m. Amber was another victim. Her scenario is what I would say led to him eventually being arrested. So I'll go into hers a little bit more because her pimp that she worked with is the one who kind of saw him and was able to give at least some details on what he looked like in the car that he drove. So Amber was last seen alive on September 2nd, 2010, leaving her residence in West Babylon during the late evening hours while working as a sex worker. On September 1st, her phone was contacted by a burner phone at 11.33, and the burner phone connected to cell towers in Massapequa Park before traveling to West Babylon. The phone communicated again with Amber's at 12.05 a.m. on the 2nd. So basically... What happened then was Amber and the pimp that she worked for, they would set up, uh, what do they call it? A ruse? <laughs> a ruse. 
So basically, they would just try to con these people. And the pimp or friend or whoever would pretend to be Amber's boyfriend. He was outraged and would start like a big dramatic fight. So then the client, who in this case was Rex Hewerman, would leave and Amber would keep the money and she wouldn't actually have to do anything. That's what happened. And based on interviews of, I believe it's the pimp. I've seen people say that. So based on interviewing him, he said that the client was described as a large white male, approximately 6'4 to 6'6 in height. Like Rex was tall. When you see him in pictures with these police officers, he's big, massive. Big he said he was in his mid-40s, dark bushy hair, big oval style 1970s type glasses. Witness described him to police as appearing like an ogre, which is like spot on, honestly. Um, furthermore, a witness noticed a first-generation Chevrolet Avalanche parked in the driveway of the residence. So that's kind of a different car. It's um, it's a type of pickup truck, but I wouldn't say it's super common. And in the end, it has ended up being green, which I'd say is even less common. So according to the witness, following the ruse, the client, Rex, said to him that he was just her friend. And he was like, tell her I'll give her a call. And he walked out the door. Um, then at approximately 1 a.m. that night after the ruse had been perpetrated, the burner cell phone sent a text message to Amber's phone, which stated, that was not nice. That was not nice. So do I credit for next time? Just like an incoherent text. But it shows that this guy was using burner phones. So phone records show that the burner phone was located in Massapequa Park within two minutes of that text being sent. So then according to a witness, later that day on the 2nd, Amber was again contacted by the same client that was in the house the night before with the avalanche. That's a quote probably from the witness. Amber told us that he wanted to see her again, but he didn't want to come back to the house because of her boyfriend. So then later that night on the 2nd at 9 p.m., the same burner phone from the previous evening again communicated with Amber. During this communication, the burner cell phone used a cell site in Midtown Manhattan Following this communication and based upon the cell records, the cell phone then traveled to Massapequa Park and had contact with Amber's phone at 10.39 p.m. and 11 p.m. They also said that Amber left her own cell phone behind and she walked out the front door of the residence and was seen alive for the last time. Shortly after Amber left the house, a witness observed a dark colored truck pass the house, specifically coming from the direction that Amber walked towards. So it seemed like she walked outside and his truck was out there waiting and she got in his truck. Um, all the girls' remains were found between December 11th and the 13th. All the victims were, this is kind of why they think they were all connected initially. They were all petite females, approximately 22 to 27 years old. They were all missing pieces of clothing or personal items. They'd all been killed by homicide. All had contact shortly before their disappearance with a person using a burner phone. The cell phones of Maureen and Melissa were each used by the killer after their deaths to check their voicemails or taunt their families. And each of the four victims were found similarly positioned and bound in a similar fashion, either by belts or tape. All three victims were found wrapped in a burlap-type material. They say all three victims. I don't know if that means only three of them were wrapped in the burlap. I think maybe it means the three that he's been charged They're with so far. On. Yeah, you know? I think that's what that means. Um, so police allege that Rex carried out these murders while his wife and children were out of town each time they were away, either visiting Iceland I, or yeah. other places. I feel like they've been very vocal about that. So it, they are really kind of emphasizing that they don't seem to believe that the wife, especially, I guess, knew anything about these murders, which I find that so hard to believe now, especially with all this stuff that's come out. But anyway. 
Yeah, or she could have just been scared of him too and ignorance. Yeah, is and when when I say all the things that have come out, I mean the things in the house. Like so now, yeah. the, which we'll get into in a bit. But like the house looks small. It looks very run down. It's not like a mansion where you could hide and have rooms. I heard it was very like hoarded esque. Yeah. So maybe that's why there's just so much shit in it. You can I like I would think that it would be dirty and messy, and that would explain some of the things that we'll get into as well. Yeah. Um, so there's been lots of questions about how police actually narrowed down the search and identified Rex as the suspect. So on February 15th, 2022, a task force was established for this case because they were finally like, all right, it's been like a decade, guys. Let's get it together. So in March 2022, police discovered that Rex had owned a Chevy Avalanche pickup truck between 2009 and 2010. And like we mentioned, the pickup truck was seen at the scene of the crime when he was um, talking to Amber and meeting with Amber. So once they started looking into Rex, they also found that there were calls to the victims that originated from near his home in Massapequa Park and back and forth from Midtown Manhattan, which is where he worked. Investigators said they narrowed cell tower records from thousands of possible individuals down to hundreds and then to a handful of people. They focused on residents who matched the physical description provided um, by the witness who had seen the killer. It's crazy the stuff that they can narrow down just from kind of like the phone pings and then maybe seeing how many or like how many people had a dark colored Chevy avalanche during this time. They could look that up and then narrow it down like from too, there. I feel like too, it was just amazing police work after they finally formed this task force and especially considering a lot of the evidence, you know, like the phone records and all that were a decade old. It's like it's amazing. I want. I wonder if they have more they haven't released, but this was all in the bail document, so I figure that you know this is a lot of what they have. Yeah. So they they were lucky that the police back in the day, because there's been a, a lot of talk about the, kind of the corruption of the Suffolk County Police and how they just did a shitty job investigating this, but they did get like the phone records and information from three of the girls' phones. That's another reason why Maureen's is a little more difficult because I think that they don't have access to her cell phone information. Like they never got it, I read in the document. So that makes things a little more difficult. But yeah, it's good they had that information. And it seems like he is pretty consistent with the locations he was texting from. It seemed to be his house and his job, really. He really got um, complacent, didn't he? I guess he just kept going because no one ever put him on the radar. And it also helps once they started looking that he had a semi-unique car and that he was just like a massive dude. Yeah. Um, even, and he seemed to just be out and about because even people were looking up his job from on Google Maps and you could see him out in the street on Google Maps <laughs> outside of his job. <laughs> there, tall, looking like an ogre. Same outfit as always. <laughs> Anyways, they said they narrowed cell towers from thousands of possible individuals to hundreds and then to a handful of people. They focused on residents who matched the physical description provided by the person who saw the killer. A series of taunting calls in which a male caller admitted killing and sexually assaulting Melissa were made from the phone to her family members from the vicinity of Rex's office during the summer of 2009. And according to the New York Post, the killer, who we now know as Rex, said to her sister Amanda, is this Melissa's little sister? She said, yes. He said, do you know what your sister is doing? She's a whore. The calls were always made in the evening and they lasted under three minutes. This info is from a 2011, 2011 article that references Massapequa Park. I'm talking about Mrs. Bartholomew, which is her mother. She said he wouldn't talk to anybody but her, referring to the, the sister. 
One time I answered and he hung up as soon as he heard my voice. But she kept a note of the conversations while police pinpointed the caller's location in Times Square, Madison Square Garden, and Massapequa, a short drive from Gilgo Beach in Suffolk County. And joining us now is Suffolk County District Attorney Raymond Tierman. Uh, Raymond, you just held a press conference announcing the charges against Rex Hewerman. You arrested him yesterday after this decade-long investigation, but really all the work seemed to really happen in the last, what, 13 months? Yep, uh, yep, since March of uh, 2022, March 14, 2022, that's when uh, we identified, or the defendant, Hearman, was identified as a suspect for the first time, and that's really when we focused all of our investigative resources on him. And what was the breakthrough in all of this case? I mean, what, what, I mean, there have been so many years where nothing happened. This task force comes together. Was it just different minds all coming together? Tell me what, what broke it for you? What broke this thing wide open? Well, I mean, I think there was some, you know, interesting evidence. Uh, there was great phone evidence that was developed by the FBI, which had developed two areas of interest in, uh, uh, in the area where it turned out the defendant lived and another area where it turned out he worked. Uh, there was also a eyewitness uh, evidence with regard to uh, an individual who matched his physical description, uh, being with the uh, the, the, the victim uh, Amber Costello on the night uh, before she disappeared, and also before she left. Amber Costello said, she, "I'm going to meet this guy again." Right. Uh, so all of those things uh, taken in, in conjunction with the hair evidence the um, advancements in mitochondrial DNA, and then t and putting it all together, uh, getting abandonment samples, not only from the defendant, but from family members, and then being able to compare uh, some of that DNA that was left at the scene so, with uh, the defendant and his family's DNA. Did you have the defendant and his family under surveillance for this entire past year? Um, not for the entire past year, but we uh, starting, um, you know, once we developed him as a suspect uh, and then once we uh, once we developed him as a suspect, we executed about 300 you know, subpoenas, search warrants. And uh, once we learned more and more about him, uh, we ended up uh, with the help of the FBI, as well as the Suffolk County Police Department, putting him on uh, extensive surveillance. So the bail document that we've been talking about, there's tons of Google Maps type images of where kind of these calls pinpoint, like where Rex's phone is, where the victim's phone is, where everything is that are really interesting to look at. So, I mean, we posted the document a few times on our Instagram, but we'll link it with this or it'll be on the blog. So yeah, if you want all the details of that, it's really interesting to see kind of all the pinpoints pictured out in front of you because you can see how they really were able to narrow it down. This is an interesting quote from the article we were just talking about. It says, without question, this guy is smart. This guy is not a dope. It's a guy who thinks about things. So according to the bail, occup uh, bail occupation, <laughs> <laughs> according to the bail application documents, Rex also used burner phones to contact other sex workers and massage parlors. He created false names for an email account, which he used to search for, quote, sex workers, sadistic, torture-related pornography, and child pornography. We're getting to a bit more about his searches in a minute, but this is we're kind of going through the bail document as it reads. We know now that Rex was likely in the same location as the victim's phones and the burner cell phones that were used to contact some of the victims. Um, in one case on July 10, 2009, the records show that the burner phone and Rex's phone were in the same location and traveled together from Massapequa to New York City. Um, and Melissa and Rex's phones traveled eastbound together towards Massapequa. 
Um, he One of the emails he used was to send selfies to solicit and arrange for sexual activity. They've actually released the photo of him. So like, embarrassing. He's like a real, like so many people are like, this is exactly what I pictured he would look like. And it is true. Totally. He's just a creepy, a lot of people have said, he, like you said, an ogre. He's a creepy. Like washed yeah. up. Yeah. Um, another email was used to search for podcasts and documentaries about the investigation, as well as images depicting the murdered victims and members of their families. So I have read that he loved to listen to podcasts about the case, which is creepy. Um, he made an AOL account under the name John Springfield and kind of his username was Springfield Man 9 in January 2011. As of December 2022, he was still using that account and police have determined that he used a burner phone to access that account. Um, police even found CCTV of Rex putting, you know, in phone stores, buying these phones and putting minutes on the phones. They've put that in the document. He's wearing like a strappy shirt and his man bag that he always carries everywhere. <laughs> this has really made me wonder how many people actually use burner phones. I'd love to see a statistic. Like, is this a normal thing? Is it weird? I don't know anyone who's used a burner phone, I don't think. Well... No, like the only case I can even think of where we spoke about burner phones was Bo Man. Remember, he had like 11 burner phones or something like that. So, yeah, I feel like the only time people use burner phones is when they're doing something sketchy, but maybe I'm wrong. They don't want anyone else to know about. Yeah. So, after they formed the task force last year, in July 2022, a detective took 11 bottles from a trash can outside Rex's house. And then by January this year, he was under regular surveillance. Investigators saw him throw a pizza box into a sidewalk garbage can outside his office and they took the crusts and swabbed them for DNA. They've put photos in. They've taken a photo of the bin with the pizza box in it and then they've got a photo of the open pizza box and it's got like a plate and the crusts. So he he really messed up when he did that. It's just giving like (laughs) total slob vibes. But it's funny because I was telling – Mike about that I was like it's crazy like they got him using pizza crust and there's a picture of the box with the pizza grease and the tin foil and the paper plate <laughs> and the pizza crust in there like a very New York City thing I'm sure it's an everywhere <laughs> thing but but Mike and I always uh argue not really argue but I never eat pizza crust and he eats the pizza crust so I'll give him mine he was like see that's why you have to eat your pizza crust <laughs> don't leave anything behind especially if you're a criminal <laughs> So on February 24th this year, a forensic lab concluded that a hair that was found on Megan's remains matched the DNA from one of the bottles. It is believed that the DNA belonged to Asa. There is no, as we said, there's no indication that Asa knew about the murders as she was out of the area at the time that happened. We've had a few questions like, how could she have not known? Why would her hair have been on him? I feel like, as we mentioned, the house seems like it probably wasn't the cleanest and tidiest house. Hair is very difficult to get rid of. My hair gets everywhere. Yeah. You know, it just takes one hair to be on his shirt, then to transfer. Like, and I know I've never seen anything about animals, but for example, dog hair gets everywhere. Um, So I'm I'm not surprised that it belonged to her, even though she apparently had nothing to do with it. My hair gets absolutely everywhere all the time. Like, my hair's longer, so. It just is all over the place. But even I saw them saying that could just mean that like the burlap or the tape was also kept in the house because maybe the burlap was somewhere. It was just like hunting type burlap. Like it was camouflage. So I don't think it'd be like particularly suspicious if she saw that in the house. But maybe that got hair on it from being in the house. Maybe the tape got hair on it because it's sticky. Or if she could have just been in his car, her hair gets in his car, then the girls are in the car. Trace evidence transfers way easier than people think. Yeah. 
Um, so a hair found on Amber's remains was tested and also matched the day on the bottle. So as you mentioned that, you know, this could mean that anything he used in the killings could have come from the house. Mm-hmm. Between March last year and June this year, Rex used the same email account to look. He did more than 200 searches about serial killers and articles about the task force investigating the Gilgo Beach killing. So they did list all of his Google searches. Do you think I should run through them? Uh Maybe I'll just kind of... Maybe leave out the overly graphic ones. Yeah, yeah. If you want to read every single search that he did, they are on the blog in the court documents. Some of them are disgusting and very, very graphic. So I'll run through them. I won't read out the really, really, really graphic ones, but they're all on there. But uh, the first one, Mistress Long Island, Mature Escorts Manhattan. That is an interesting... Uh, search that a lot of people believe he may be may have been starting to transition from the younger escorts into older women and that's part of the reason why the police arrested him quickly um, Mm. because they believed he may have been getting ready to start again yeah um girl begging for rape porn teen girl begging for rape porn pretty girl with bruised face porn torture redhead porn 10 year old school girl i won't read the next one um, skinny redhead tied up porn, short fat girl tied up porn. He did ha- seem to have a thing for shorter women as well. A lot of the women were very petite and small. Mm. Um, tied up and raped porn. One that a lot of people think is an interesting kind of search term is Asian twink tied up porn. If you remember from our last episode in the blog, there is an Asian male victim of apparently the Long Island serial killer. That victim has never been identified. The victim was found wearing women's clothing. Everything indicates he was 17 to 23 and it's possible that he may have lived as a woman. If you don't know what a twink is, it's classified as a gay or bisexual young man with a slim build and youthful appearance. So that could relate to that other victim that has never been identified. There's a few really graphic ones we'll leave out. Um, He did a lot of searches for child images, 10-year-old blonde-haired girl, chubby 10-year-old girl, black girl 10 years old, girl with face beat up, chubby 10-year-old girl crying, 13-year-old school girl, um, age 10 child girl with blonde hair and blue eyes, blonde hair girl young depressed, teen girl oiled bodies, preteen girl with makeup, nude slave girls, old janitors, gangbang, little school girl, schoolgirl crying teen porn so this is what you get the gist yeah the of what he was looking just a lot of deranged searches so they are kind of the sexual and porn searches that he did in terms of searches regarding the case this is what he searched for why could law enforcement not trace the calls made by the long island serial killer why hasn't the long island serial killer been caught long island serial killer Long Island serial killer phone call. (laughs) He was really obsessed on the phone. I guess he was probably getting a bit worried that, you know, that would be the one way they could track him. Yeah. Long Island serial killer update. Long Island serial killer update 2022. FBI active serial killers. Serial killers by state 2023. Map of all known serial killers. America's five most notorious old cases. 11 currently active serial killers. Eight terrifying active serial killers we can't find. He Googled John Bitroff, who was kind of, I think, I believe a suspect originally in the Lisk case. Yeah. He Googled all the victims, Megan Waterman, Melissa Bartholomew, Maureen Brainard Barnes, 
he also looked at COPS launch Gilgo Beach Homicide Investigation Task Force, mapping the Long Island murder victims inside the Long Island serial killer in Gilgo Beach, the Gilgo Beach killer criminal minds in Long Island serial killer investigation. New phone technology may be the key in Skip to break the case. When I was reading these, I was waiting for him to look up, why is Long Island Steeler so cool and elusive? <laughs> like, There's been all these women or people that have come out and said that they had encounters with Rex and apparently he met up with a woman who I believe maybe may have been a sex worker and apparently when he met up with her, he was asking her questions like, have you heard of Long Island serial killer? What do you think? You know, like he would ask people who he met questions about the case. Mm-hmm. This is a TikTok from interior designer Dominique Vidal, who was in a networking group with Rex. It all just seems really off um, and disturbing. So towards the end of this conversation, that's been all about him, I try to redirect it towards um, finding common interests. So one of the things that I always pull out of my conversation-like toolbox is, oh, do you listen to podcasts? Who doesn't love a good podcast? Of course he doesn't. And he asks me the first thing about myself. And um, he asks back, do you like any podcasts? And I say, yeah, you know, I listen to some comedy, like history ones. And then I used to listen to a lot of true crime, but it's a little dark for me. So I don't really listen anymore. And he asks me, do you have a favorite case? A favorite true crime case? And I say, no, I don't. I have like a podcast I used to listen to, Crime Junkie. And he asks me if I know. He, he, I'm not making this up at all. This, I'm like just so shocked I need to share this with somebody, all, all of TikTok. He asked me, do I know about the Gilgo Beach murders? And of course I do. And... I'm like, yeah, of course I know. And he goes on to tell me, yeah, that's a serial killer that was never caught in my hometown, my neighborhood where I live. And tells me he like, the guy killed 10 people and he might slap you out there. And I like make a joke and I'm like, yeah, you never know who you're talking to. Anybody could be a serial I could be a serial killer. And he laughed at that. And I just cannot stop running that conversation over and over in my head and I'm really disturbed and I'm going to my parents house right now because I just I can't deal with this I'm so I'm disturbed I'm upset I'm disappointed so Rex was arrested in New York City on July 13th. As we mentioned, we believe that the arrest was probably brought forward because Rex may have been aware that the police were on to him. As we mentioned too, he hasn't been charged with Maureen's murder yet, but the court documents say that that part of the case is expected to be resolved soon. Um, they believe Law enforcement did say that they were concerned that Rex would start killing again, I guess, if he if he had a break, if he remained free due to his continued patronising of sex workers at all hours of the night. The Suffolk County DA, Ray Tierney, spoke about the timing of, of the arrest. He said, we were playing before a party of one. We knew the person responsible for these murders would be looking at us. And he also spoke about other victims. He said, there are a lot of other victims in that area. There are a lot of victims' families that want closure. So that's what you work towards. The New York governor, Kathy Hochul, said, yes, the day has finally come when someone who's so depraved of heart who would kill individuals, innocent individuals in their prime of their lives, is finally brought to justice. 
Um, the Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison said Rex Hewerman is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. If not for the members of the task force, he would still be on the street today. So Rex pled not guilty during his first court appearance, which was Friday, July 14th. His court-appointed attorney, Michael Brown, said that Rex was in tears and said, I did not do this. I have read that Arthur was in court supporting Rex on that day, but we'll get into what happened after that. Once everything started coming out, she changed her mind. Yeah. Um, So Rex is due in court again on the 1st of August. So after the arrest on the weekend of July 15 and 16, police searched a storage unit that Rex had rented. Detective Lieutenant Kevin Bayra told News 12, he said, we've executed a search warrant for one of the storage units in relation to the Gilgo suspect case. On the same day, police were seen removing multiple weapons from Rex's house. He had permits for 92 firearms, but they found more than 200 in his house. Crazy. How could you even have that many in a space? Like, imagine 200 firearms in your house. Like, I'm assuming it looks like maybe max a three-bedroom, one-story. Like, where is he keeping all this stuff? It's probably maybe a little bigger than my apartment. Plus, there's a basement, it says. And I think the basement is where they were finding a lot of the weird stuff. So it seems like that was his area. I cannot imagine 200 firearms in one house. And I think police were aware at least of the 92 weapons that he probably had. And that's why they arrested him at his office and not at his house, which is makes sense. Yeah, they literally arrested him like right out in the street. He's just swarmed by 10 guys in suits. It's crazy to see. It looks like something out of a movie. They've been kind of super open with the search. Like there's been tons of videos and photos of police and investigators carrying stuff out of the house, which is interesting because I feel like usually they kind of try and cover things up up and put things in bags and, you know, but they've been very openly photographed. One of the things they carried out was a child-sized blonde doll that was kept in a large wooden and glass case that had flowers around it. Um, there was also um, an artwork that I posted on the Instagram and it looked like kind of a bruised and battered blonde woman. It was really um, weird. Yeah, it looked very creepy. And she looks like kind of at least two of the victims. Like, yeah. Obviously just being like blonde white girls, but similar look. Um, a police source told the New York Post, we're just going through his house looking to see if there's any evidence, if he has any trophies from the victims whose bodies he dumped at Gilgo Beach. I think it was you who posted a um, on the Instagram toolbox. too. Yeah, like there was a whole bunch of people standing around looking in this toolbox that looked like it had stuff in it. They um, can't see in the picture. No, you can't see what it is. But they said they photographed it and stuff and like everyone came over to look at it. Yeah, it was a whole, yeah, a whole bunch of people like, what is going on? So, so there's a lot of stuff in and out of this house. And then today, or was it yesterday, they said that one of the reporters there said it seemed like they were kind of moving trucks uh, around yeah. to obscure the view the from view. reporters. Um, and it looked like that they were maybe going to bring out something big that they didn't really want the reporters to see. I guess they did a good job hiding it because we never really did hear what Yet. that was or what it could have been. Suffolk Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison calls the search fruitful at the Mazapequa Park home of accused serial killer Rex Hewerman. There have been items that we have taken into our possession. That makes it fruitful. Adding every single crevice in the home is being examined. In the backyard, a backhoe dug a crater where investigators were seen bagging potential evidence, ground penetrating radar and cadaver dogs at work. And the top cop confirmed the existence of a walk-in basement vault with a large iron door. Uh, There's not a a soundproof room. Uh, There is a vault. 
Uh, we secured a uh, numerous amount of guns. Hureman is charged with three murders and is a prime suspect in a fourth. Their bodies left along the desolate Gilgo Beach Strip. Neighbors' lives are upended by the massive crime scene, but... As long as they need to stay, they need to stay. You know, there's a lot of things that are unsolved. And everybody wants to know, you know, what's going on, really what they will find in that house. Some wonder why the break in the case didn't come years earlier after this roommate of victim Amber Costello told the Associated Press he gave police a description of the hulking suspect and his green pickup truck more than a decade ago. What you have to understand is um, you know, when they're getting that, that's that's lost within a sea of, of other tips and information they're getting. Um, and at the time, uh, you know, there wasn't really any, uh, you know, coherent leadership. Um, so police in both South Carolina and Las Vegas have announced that they are also looking into the case. Rex owned a timeshare in Vegas for many years and Craig, who's Rex's brother, lives in South Carolina. Rex had apparently planned to retire with Craig. It's, it's interesting to me, which I know is a bit of backtracking, but how he had all these tax and financial issues, but he owned a timeshare, he owned property in South Carolina. Like he owned a lot of things for someone who was having all these financial issues. Yeah, apparently I just need to get start scamming to get further along in life because <laughs> you hear about Alex Murdoch, this yeah. guy, they're all just doing shady shit for so long before they get caught. And usually they get caught because they do something stupid, like they start murdering people. Yeah. So the Vegas police said, we are aware of Rex's connection to Las Vegas. We are currently renewing our unsolved, reviewing our unsolved cases to see if he has any involvement. So we spoke earlier about the Chevy Avalanche. So after Rex was arrested, police impounded a second avalanche from the South Carolina property that Rex and Craig owned. I have read now that they believe that this was the truck that he did own in 2009, 2010. The South Carolina police said during the investigation and prior to the arrest, the Chester County Sheriff's Office was requested by the Gilgo Beach Task Force to assist in gathering evidence relevant to their investigation. And basically they've said they're working with them and the FBI. So they haven't really had anything additional come out from that yet. So despite attending his first court appearance on Wednesday, July 19, Rex's wife Asa filed for divorce. It's funny because Rex's attorney made a statement after the arrest saying Rex was a loving husband and that he and Asa had been married for more than 25 years, but and she's, like, nope. she's <laughs> had enough. Her attorney, which I don't blame her, her attorney told ABC on Wednesday that she had no comment. So there's so much information coming out every day. We probably need to do another episode depending on what else keeps coming out. But police have said today that they believe Rex may have killed at least one of the victims in his home, which I guess would explain why there's so much um, investigation still going on there. And today, two law enforcement sources told CBS that they are looking to see whether or not Rex could be connected to other unsolved murders in the country. They are looking into this. I think there's been four murders of sex workers in Atlantic City in New Jersey to see if there could be any connection. Yeah, that's the eastbound strangler is what they called that one. So that is kind of it up to date in terms of the investigation into Rex and his arrest and what has happened since. There's lots of people coming out now as well who have interacted with him either through work or um, like he, I don't know if they're sex workers, but he like solicited them in some type of way or like went on dates kind of. Everyone's kind of coming out for their 15 minutes of fame on TikTok and everything. But from what I've gathered from the ones I've seen or listened to is that he, and again, this is like hindsight. If you didn't know it was a serial killer, would you still be saying this? But apparently, but I could see 
some of the stuff they said, like they say it was kind of condescending to girls, like kind of pretentious, talked down to them in like a business sense. Um, one girl said he was just like super weird, like having a conversation with him. It was awkward and uncomfortable, just stuff like that. There's one interview he did too that was out before this happened. So the people on TikTok picked it up where he was talking about how it was always handy to have a hammer with you or something. And he was kind of like making jokes about intimidating people with a hammer. If you were a tool or an object to help you uh, in your, uh, to help you to bring your business to greater heights, what would it be? That's an interesting question. I know. <laughs> because well, what I do, we have to have so many tools in the toolbox. Uh, just one. Just one. Just one. Or an object. It doesn't have to be a tool. It can be an object. You know what? Yeah. I know. All Listen right. closely. One of the things I learned from my father was furniture building. Okay. He was an aerospace engineer and built satellites. <laughs> and Runs in the family, yeah? building things. <laughs> and... <laughs> Built furniture at home, and I still build it in the same exact workshop. So I have one tool that's pretty much used in almost every job, and it's actually a cabinet maker's hammer. Oh, okay, and cabinet maker hammer. Okay, it is persuasive enough <laughs> when I need to persuade something, not someone, something. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> and it always yields excellent results. Yeah. And at the end of the project, whatever piece of furniture or what I'm working on, it always helps it come out beautifully. Okay, great. So you would be kind of a, that kind of hammer for your uh, for your business. That's what you're saying. You if have that doesn't exist. That's what you would be. Sometimes I have to be the. <laughs> Heavy framing hammer? The heavy framing hammer. Other times, I'm the lightweight hammer just to <laughs> nudge things along. All right. I guess it's a hammer. We got it. There's been some talk about Shannon Gilbert, the other possible victim, and I believe that she may have had like a drill mark or something on her like that. So oh, people, yeah. People have been like, you know, he's into tools. Maybe it was him. Oh, and fresh butt. Fresh butt's meowing. The change. Hey, <laughs> you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> Do you hear him? Yeah. Shh, why are you meowing? No. <laughs> so one other thing that was kind of interesting when we found out who is probably the suspect of a lot of the murders is that at one of at the Gilgo Four scene, a belt was found. We I think we did talk about it in our original podcast, but maybe yeah, maybe did. it came out after. But anyway, the belt they've got released photos of it. It looks like it's got the initials H M or W H. Um, police said at a press conference in 2020 that the belt didn't belong to any of the victims and they believe that it was handled by the suspect. So it's interesting now that his last name is Human. I don't know, like HM, Human, or I don't know, like obviously it's just interesting. I, I feel know. like that's probably what it is. Yeah. Unless, I don't know, it's a weird coincidence if not. Yeah. I think because the belt, one of the girls, two, I don't because they only talked about the three of them, two of the girls were bound up with tape. And then one of the girls was bound with three belts, so I'm sure that it was one of the belts used to bind the one I'd girl. be interested to know how big the belt was because he was a big guy, mm, like true. like the length of the belt. Yeah. 
So I did find some other interesting information just about serial killers generally, uh, gen- generally, generally, <laughs> generally. The one, there's a quote from James Allen Fox, who's a professor at Northeastern University, and he studied serial killers for more than 40 years. He said, the thing about serial killers, at least the ones that are more prolific, is that they are often extraordinarily ordinary. He said they tend to be extremely careful not to leave any evidence behind, which I don't know if he's 100% true in this case, but he didn't leave a lot, I guess, to be able to be free for over 10 years. He said they generally have jobs and families and they kill part-time. It's not their sole activity in life, which is true in this case. The University of Michigan have also done a study on serial killers. It says the US leads the rest of the world in documented serial killers with 3,613 serial killers as of 2020. England is second with 176. (laughs) So I know England has a smaller population, but still 3,600 compared to 176. It's crazy. Big jump. Um, 1986 was the peak year in the US for serial killings, which we've spoken about in the past, probably as technology has increased, the ability to be a serial killer has decreased. Serial killing was at its highest point between 1970 and 1990, which is where some of the most well-known serial killers were active, like Bundy, Dharma, Ramirez, Gacy, all those. It's funny because he was like, he was like a later serial killer because when it first came up, people were asking me about it. I was like, I don't know. He was like a serial killer by starting like the 80s, 90s, and then it was like, oh, the 2000s, actually. (laughs) Um, Most serial killers kill for either financial gain or enjoyment with 32% on record saying they killed for financial gain, which is interesting to me. I feel like most serial killers don't seem to kill for, I don't know. I would think definitely it would have been pleasure. Apparently only 25% have killed for pleasure. I would think that it would be a much higher I can't think of any for financial gain? Like- I feel like female serial killers possibly, like Eileen Warnos was one, I believe, who stole from her victims. But I don't know, is it really financial gain? I don't know. Anyway. Anger is cited as a primary motivator for another 18% of serial murders and gang activity accounts for 6%. I feel like anger and pleasure can kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, it seems together. like in this case he did it because he enjoyed it, but he was also very angry at women. If you just look at his Google searches about, you know, abused women and abused children, he obviously mm-hmm. had something angry going on. And all the girls that came forward that had talked to him before said he was kind of like a condescending asshole to all of them. Yeah. I would love to know what happened in his early life or his childhood or why why he has turned out like this. So his brother, I, I've read, is not the nicest person either. Like his brother obviously has had legal trouble. It seems like they were kind of, I wonder if the brother knew about it, if the truck was housed and kept there the whole time. I don't know. Mm. You know I guess more will come out. You know, a lot of people are saying that they think that he's probably going to be connected to way more uh, victims than is like originally being thought, which it could be from what it seems like. This guy is absolutely deranged, I wonder. And did he stop killing with the Gilgo Four? Because that was like, what, 2009? Uh, Has he done nothing else since Well, then? I think they went missing between 2007 and 2010. Um, yeah, yeah. So did he do, I don't know, do nothing between then? We don't know. And for whatever reason, police seem to think he was like ramping up to cause trouble again. He was trying to meet with sex workers again. So that was one reason why they were like, all right, we need to intervene. Someone, a media agency took a photo of an investigator coming out and um, the investigator had a notebook and they took photos of what was written in the notebook. So it's obviously things they found in the house. It says torn man's shirt with stain in bag in workshop keys and handcuff keys on the shelf under workbench, mm-hmm. um, rope in vault, rope. I think I believe I read like he had a big 
I'll talk about that in a sec. But yeah, rope in vault, rope in shop. And then it goes in to say that basically, I'll just find it where I said it. It says that a neighbor saw him carrying a heavy object that turned out to be a safe door into the house and that he told the neighbor, this is to protect my guns. So I'm assuming that is the kind of vault thing they were talking about. Yeah, I'd love to see what's in that house. Not even specifically from the crime scene standpoint of just, I feel like he probably has a lot of weird shit. There's photos of like stacks and stacks of pornographic magazines. Like this is all how old so, like, he is. You lived there with your wife and kids. Like, did he not let them into the basement? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe this was all in the vault. I don't. And I wonder how big this vault was. But I'm assuming. I don't know. I'm giving getting the vibe that like maybe Asa, the wife and kids, were just kind of afraid of him. Yeah. She could have been a domestic violence abusive situation where she was scared of him also. Maybe he was like, Nope, you guys don't go in the basement. Yeah. And I guess if it was filthy and it was all his shit down there, he'd just be like, Okay, whatever. Yep, don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, I don't need to go down there. Mm. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear more. I'm assuming that the family probably won't be allowed to speak really, but I'm very curious about what his wife or anyone that was close to him will have to say one day about it's interesting because what was in the house like in some cases you get the people who were close like you know a neighbor like I guess the neighbors have kind of spoken but there's no one really who's come out and said yeah I knew him for 40 years I could never have pictured this like there hasn't really been it's just been people who have known him on and off for you know the last little while that have come out I need some of his co-workers to come out but I'm sure the company was like do not speak to reporters <laughs> and, then, and I'm sure he, they're all part of the investigation and to he owned the company so now essentially they don't have jobs I assume you know Mm. and a lot of the neighbors said the neighbors who did talk said the whole family was kind of reclusive and didn't really come out or talk much so yeah is that the right word reclusive yeah Yeah. reclusive yeah (laughs) (laughs) I always doubt myself (laughs) but yeah so I think that is really it for what is out right now and I mean there's not really many you can't really talk about like theories and stuff because there's not really theories. I guess the only kind of like that. question at the moment is, is he responsible for all of the Long Island serial killers or just these three to four? Is he responsible for other killings in other places? Um, I feel like he is responsible for all of them because another one people pointed out how you were saying with the the twink, the Asian search that he did, one of the girls was black, right? With and had a kid, and there were searches for that was peaches um, specifically. Peaches is that, yeah, that peaches. one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Specifically, searches for black uh, child, black child, and things like that. We shall see. I guess I'm sure lots more will come out by the time this episode airs or is released. So if there's any like major updates, I'll put in some clips here. But just for the record, we are recording this on July 20th. Right now it is 8 p.m. here at my time in New York. So that's up to date as of right now. Nicole, the DA said that he can't say one way or another whether this house is considered a crime scene. Now, for 12 days, we have watched boxes of evidence being removed from the Hureman property, and soon all media will have to leave this neighborhood. But first, we were given close-up access to the Hureman home for the first time since we've arrived here. And the house of the suspected serial killer does not match the description of Hureman at work, successful and detail-oriented. It feels out of place next to the others on the street. We are told his home was also full of clutter, extending the length of the investigation of the property. We also learned that 279 weapons were taken from the vault in Hureman's basement. District Attorney Ray Tierney called the list of items recovered 
huge, but would not give specific details about what items were brought into evidence from the home or backyard. We now know that the backyard was excavated after ground technology picked up on disturbances in the human yard. DA Tierney telling us today no human remains were found, but investigators are still sorting through trace evidence recovered from inside the house and backyard. Were any human remains found? No. Uh, well, what I would say is we're still going over the trace evidence, but, uh, you know, they were asking about with regard to the excavation in the back if, if there were any large items of evidence recovered, and the answer to that question is no. The DA does not believe that this investigation is limited to New York State, but interesting, Nicole, Huerman, under New York State law, cannot have his DNA entered into the national DNA database unless he is convicted of a crime. I just, like, I just had a quick look at the timeline again, so before we sign off, but the first um, possible victim is from 1996, and then it went up to 2011. So I wonder why he, if, if he did stop, why he stopped, or did he move? Like, I just, I feel like that is a big gap in time for someone who may have killed all these people to just stop suddenly. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what comes out. All right. So that is it for this episode. Um, we'll have a blog on it so that you can get the link to that document that has all that stuff in it and all of our sources and everything at truecrimesocietyblog.com. Follow us on Instagram if you don't already. We're always posting updates on there and our story, um, following all the ongoing cases. If you want to listen to the episodes ad-free and also I'm doing early release, not like super, super early, but basically I'll release them. Episodes usually come out on Thursday. I'll release them sometime on Wednesday when I finish editing them instead of making you guys wait. And We'll do maybe some little surprise pop-up episodes here and there on Patreon. So if you guys are interested in that, uh, check us out over there. And we're very grateful to anyone who subscribes. If you're listening on Spotify or whatever platform, make sure you subscribe, whatever, follow, whatever the word is for the platform that you're using, all that. It's big help to us, especially during the summer slump that we talked about. And share the podcast, rate it, leave us nice comments on Spotify. All those things. You follow our personal Instagram accounts. I forgot. Mine is Steph Sum underscore Olivia's TCS Olivia. We're posting there. I try to post more there, but it's hard to not feel pretentious when you're <laughs> posting by yourself. Like I feel so stupid. Um, try to post more of my cats. We got a fresh butt shout out this episode. That was cool. <laughs> um, but I think that's it. So that's it. stay safe out there, everyone. Thank you for listening. Peace out. See ya. Yeah.